Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. And notice what Gabriel said about this news. He said, this is good news of great joy. And guess who it's for? It's for all the people. The good news didn't come just to the Jews or Gentiles. It's not just for Baptists or Catholics. It is for everyone, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, atheists, anyone and everyone who trust in Christ can be forgiven of his sins. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Every year at Christmas, the world pauses to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But often, you know, the busyness of the holiday season distracts us from its true meaning. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress takes this far less hectic opportunity to reflect on the remarkable story of the birth of Jesus and the beauty of God's plan to redeem mankind. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Now, before we get started with our study, I'm excited to let you know that the brand new Pathway to Victory daily devotional for 2023 is in-house and ready to mail to your home. This devotional has become a wonderful tradition at Pathway to Victory, and I have to say this edition is the most beautiful one we've ever published. It's more than 500 pages in length, leather-bound, and includes a reading for every weekday in the new year. In fact, I've written each chapter very intentionally to guide you through every season of 2023. Now, here's the best part. The Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional is yours when you give a generous gift toward the Light in the Darkness Matching Challenge. This arrangement not only gives you access to the devotional, but your generous gift today will automatically be doubled in size because of the matching challenge. That means your $100 gift becomes $200, a $500 gift becomes $1,000, and so forth. When you give generously, you empower Pathway to Victory to inspire people around the world to follow Jesus with boldness. I'll share more details later in the program, but right now it's time to turn our attention to the Word of God. We're looking at Luke chapter 2, in which we find the familiar story of our Lord's birth. I've titled my message, Back to Bethlehem. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 2 as we take a journey back to Bethlehem to talk about the most important birth in human history. Now, I want you to think of Luke's account of this birth as a play in three different acts. This is a three-act play, and it begins act one, not in Bethlehem, but it occurs hundreds of miles away from Bethlehem in the seat of world power. Then it wasn't New York City or Washington, D.C. The seat of world power was Rome. The story begins, you know it well. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth now let's talk about Caesar Augustus for just a moment. Did you know this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible? But he's a well-known figure in secular history. Now Caesar Augustus was his title. Caesar, his position as emperor. Augustus was his chosen name. It means venerable, the venerable emperor. His real name, his birth name was Octavian. 
Now, we know about Octavian from secular history. He was the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated, he left his kingdom to his grand-nephew Octavian. Octavian ruled Rome from 27 BC until AD 14. He did a number of notable things. He's probably best known for establishing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace throughout the world. But as often happens, this successful ruler began to believe his own press clippings. And so he gave himself another title, Pontifex Maximus, highest priest. And he commanded that the entire uh, kingdom begin to engage in emperor worship. Now, this was Caesar Augustus. And at this particular time in history, uh, the government in Rome faced a very familiar problem. They were spending more money than they were taking in. Sound familiar? Have you ever noticed how government, when that happens, they never think about cutting expenses. Uh, the knee-jerk reaction is what Caesar Augustus' reaction was. Let's raise taxes. And so, in order to tax the world, to tax the empire, there were no IRS computers back then to track people down like dogs and make them pay. No, instead, if you were going to get tax money from people, you had to know who the people were, so he had to have them registered in order to be able to tax them. Now, the Roman government was very methodical in how they were going to conduct this census. The head of each household would go back to the place of his birth where the family records were kept in order to register for the census. So if you were a head of household and you lived in Nazareth but were born in Jerusalem, you'd go to Jerusalem. If you lived in Jerusalem but were born in Nazareth, you'd go the opposite direction. And this is where we see Joseph and Mary, this couple we met last time. Joseph was the head of the household. And so he was commanded to go to the place of his birth. He lived in Nazareth, but he was commanded to go to his birthplace, which was Bethlehem. Look at verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, that's up in the north, down to the south, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. Remember last time, the angel had just come, Gabriel, to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Savior. Now we've skipped about eight or nine months. And now at this point, Mary is pregnant, very pregnant. And they're on their way to Bethlehem. Now the question is, why does Luke refer Mary as the one who was engaged to Joseph? Remember, the angel told Joseph what had happened and told him to go ahead and marry Mary. Uh, the fact was they had been betrothed, engaged, but once Joseph got the word, he took Mary as his wife. Why does Luke now, nine months later, say they were simply engaged? I think the reason is found in Matthew 1.25. Remember, the Bible says that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Even though by this time they had gone through the marriage ceremony, they were still living like an engaged couple. They had not had a sexual relationship and would not until Jesus was born. That's why he refers to Mary as Joseph's uh, in, uh, fiance rather than wife. Now, the question comes up, 
Why did Mary go with Joseph to Bethlehem? The law only required Joseph to be the one to go to Bethlehem. Why would Mary, about to deliver a child, ride on the back of a donkey for 85 miles down to Bethlehem? Well, I think there are three reasons. The first reason is the obvious reason. Because she was so close to birth, Joseph didn't want to leave her by herself. Second reason is Mary had been the subject of some very vicious rumors about her pregnancy. Remember the story was going around uh, that Mary's pregnancy was not divine. It was the result of a one-night stand with a Roman soldier named Panthera. And Joseph wanted to spare her all of this small-town gossip, so he took her with him. But the third reason that Mary went is perhaps the most important reason. 700 years earlier, God had prophesied through a prophet named Micah these words found in Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity." God had predicted the exact place of the Messiah's birth. It would be in this little town of Bethlehem. So for that to be fulfilled, Mary had to go to Bethlehem to bring this thing to pass. Bethlehem was such a small town, it wasn't even listed in the registry of towns found in Joshua 15 or Nehemiah 11. Now what I want you to think about for a moment is how God used natural events to bring about his supernatural plan. Think about this. With one stroke of the pen, Caesar Augustus, hundreds of miles away, the most powerful man in the world, with one stroke of his pen, he signed an edict that would have ramifications he could have never imagined. Little did Caesar know that when he signed that order, it would cause a man named Joseph, whom he had never met, to travel to a little village called Bethlehem Augustus had never heard of in order that Joseph's wife might give birth to the king of the universe. A king whose followers within just a few hundred years would topple the entire Roman Empire. Isn't that an amazing thought? You ask people on the street at that time, who is the most powerful man in the world? (laughs) There wouldn't have been any argument. Everyone would have said, Octavian! Caesar Augustus, why, of course, he is the most important person in all of the world. The truth is, he was nothing but a pawn on God's chessboard. God used him to do something he had no idea would result in the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And isn't it amazing that today, if you stop people on the street and you ask them, who was Octavian? There's not one in a hundred who could tell you who Octavian is. Most people can't tell you who the President of the United States is. I mean, people are so stupid today, but that's another story. (laughs) Nobody can tell you. One in a hundred could tell you who Octavian is. But 2,000 years later, everybody knows the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. Think about this. How many people do you know right now that are gathered together someplace in the world Worshiping, praying to, singing songs about Octavian. Do you know anybody who's doing that? But today, hundreds of millions of people around the world, 2,000 years later, are worshiping the name of Jesus Christ. 
Some of them are paying a heavy price to do so. What I want you to see is God uses natural events to bring about his supernatural plan. Act one of this play began in Rome. Act two, we go to a small inn in Bethlehem. Look at verses six and seven. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't it interesting? Only two verses record the most important birth in history. Ken Geyer, a gifted author in his book, Intimate Moments with the Savior, uses his sanctified imagination to paint a picture for us of what that experience must have been like. Listen to this. By the time Mary and Joseph arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. Now it is late, everyone is asleep, and there is no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all about shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with his guests' animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, Mary and Joseph were welcome to it. Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door. As he does, a chorus of barn animals make and respond with a note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there have not been enough hours in the day for the innkeeper to tend the guests, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp, lengthened by the innkeeper, flickers to dance shadows on the walls. A disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth, far from home, far from family, far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It is a relief just to finally get off the donkey. She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing stronger and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable, not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to make for a crib. Hey would serve as a mattress. Blankets, blankets, oh, his robe would do. And those rags hung out to dry would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that silent night. Joseph returns, breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all of her strength. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. You know, I think C.S. Lewis had it right when he said, the greatest miracle of all time is not the atonement or even the resurrection. The greatest miracle 
is the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Max Licato says it this way, stepping from the throne, God removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the world entered a dark, wet womb. He whom angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant, was birthed into a cold night, and then slept on cow's hay. An interviewer once asked the famed designer Versace if he believed in God. Versace responded, yes, I believe in God, but I'm not the kind of religious person who goes to church, who believes in the fairy tale of Jesus born in the stable with a donkey. I'm not stupid. I can't believe that God, with all the power that he has, would have to have himself born in a stable. It wouldn't have been comfortable. But that's the whole point, isn't it? That God was willing to give up the comfort of heaven. He, in the person of his son, Jesus, was willing to come to earth to be born in the most humble circumstances. And he came not to be worshipped, not at the beginning anyway. He came to be sacrificed for our sins. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, in talking about Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, He did not regard his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The final act of this play occurs on a hill outside of Bethlehem. Look at verse eight. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, you have to know something about shepherds to appreciate what is going on here. Shepherds represented the lowest rung in the Jewish culture. Shepherds took care of dirty and smelly sheep. And because they did so, they were dirty and smelly themselves. There was no sure deodorant back then to take the stench away. So if you were going to have a party, guess who you would never invite to your party? They never made it to any A-list parties, the shepherds. They were the outcasts of Jewish society. Isn't it interesting that God chose to make his announcement of the Savior's birth not to the political leaders in Rome, not to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He chose to make this announcement to these smelly, dirty shepherds. Look at how it came about, verse nine. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. I would think so. Imagine out there in the darkness when suddenly Gabriel appears And Gabriel said to them, do not be afraid. Notice how that's his entering line every time he runs into somebody. Don't be afraid. They had every right to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, there were many babies probably born that night in 
Jerusalem in all of Israel. So to be more specific, he gave the sign, verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly the single voice of Gabriel gave way to a multitude, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of angels in the heavens saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says, peace, goodwill toward men. That's a very unfortunate translation. Even though it's the translation we're used to and we see plastered on Christmas cards everywhere. Peace, goodwill toward men. That makes it sound like God has simply given a generic blessing to everybody. Peace, you all. (laughs) Goodwill to everybody. That's not what the text says. What the text really says is what the New American Standard translates it. Peace among men with whom God is pleased. Ladies and gentlemen, the only people who are at peace with God and peace with themselves are those who have accepted the forgiveness that Christ comes to offer. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who enjoys peace with himself and more importantly, peace with God are those whose sins have been forgiven by Christ Jesus. Verse 15 says, And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which had happened which the Lord has made known to us. Isn't it ironic to you that when the religious leaders in Jerusalem heard the news, how did they respond? (sighs) Tell me something exciting. They stayed right where they were. But when the shepherds, the lowest rung of society heard it, they went with haste. This is the first instance of a Christmas rush in history. They went quickly to see this thing. Verse 16, they came in haste and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Look at verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. Verse 20, and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard just as had been told them. We're just getting started in this important study of Luke chapter 2. Let me encourage you to stay with us because David will explain how you can receive the entire collection of unedited CDs and DVDs for this new teaching series. It's called Celebrate the Savior. But first, let me encourage you with the wonderful report that Pathway to Victory is looking back on the last 12 months with a deep sense of joy because we have witnessed a record-breaking season of growth. We've surpassed our goals in reaching more people than ever before through radio, television, and the internet. As we get acquainted with thousands of new friends, here's what I've discovered. Pathway to Victory listeners are learners. There's an obvious hunger for the truth among our listeners. And the fact that you're listening today is proof that you're the same way. Well, along these lines, I'm pleased to offer you the brand new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2023. 
This handsome slate blue leather bound volume was written so that I could come alongside you every day in the new year as we walk together in faith. The daily devotional will be sent to your home when we receive your request, along with a generous gift toward the light and the darkness matching challenge. In this arrangement, every dollar you give to Pathway to Victory will be matched and therefore doubled in size until the deadline on December 31st. That's twice the impact when you give right now. Plus, we'll say thanks by sending you a leather-bound copy of the Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2023. Thanks so much for giving generously toward this effort. God is using our partnership to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous year-end gift towards our Light in the Darkness Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand-new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2023. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also include the complete CD and DVD sets for Celebrate the Savior, a brand new series from Pathway to Victory featuring favorite messages from Dr. Jeffress about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus and the light he brought to our very dark world. The CD also includes beautiful Christmas music performances from the First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. Remember, because of our Light in the Darkness matching challenge, your gift today will effectively be doubled in impact by another generous donor. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday when Dr. Jeffress concludes this important message called Back to Bethlehem, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.